the glass and in. John Gillen is beating you. It's a third win against the top ten. And the Orange had him all the way. They didn't look into your heart. They didn't look into your heart. They didn't look into my heart. Three for the win battle. Bang! Boom! And the Orange do it again. The cardiac juice comes through on the road one more time. This is Orange Nation with Stephen Fonte and Seth Goldberg. Here we go, another day on Orange Nation. Seth Goldberg with you, flying solo. Stephen Fonte back tomorrow. We roll on until 2 o'clock. Coach Q, Quentin Hillsman, will join us at 12.15. Talking about a big upset win last weekend over Duke. A big win on Monday against Pittsburgh, and that gives the Orange... 20 wins in our 20 wins for the ninth consecutive season. That is an incredible feat. So we'll talk to Coach Q about that coming up in about 12 minutes or so. We'll be joined in the second hour by Joe Giglio. He's a beat reporter for UNC covering the Tar Heels for the News and Observer down in North Carolina. We'll talk to him to get the inside scoop on this Tar Heels team on a five-game winning streak, and and that's where I want to start. Of course, your calls are welcome, 315-437-7644. Your tweets as well, at Seth Goldberg 17 as we, you know, get ready for this game, Syracuse and UNC in the Dome. And I, I talked about it yesterday, but this game, the Duke game, the Clemson game, important because you have an opportunity that other teams don't have. You have an opportunity uh, to bolster your resume with a real signature win. I I don't believe that all Quadrant 1 wins are created equal. I don't believe that all quality wins are created equal. I do think that some are better than others. And the opportunities that the Orange has in front of them over the next week and a half are better opportunities than what they've had for the most part this season outside of those two Virginia games. So they've got an opportunity to differentiate themselves to get a couple of wins. The question becomes, can they do it, right? The question becomes, can they win enough games to actually make a run here and make the NCAA tournament? And it starts tonight. UNC coming in hot. They've won five in a row. They've been defending the three ball incredibly well over that five-game winning streak. They gave up 42 three-pointers in a three-game losing streak in mid to late January, and since then have given up 43 in a five-game winning streak. That has turned around what the Tar Heels have done. That has allowed them to play better, to win games, to get back on track, or not even back on track, to get on track this season, as they had not done for most of the year. They've gotten healthy. Cam Johnson into the starting lineup. Scoring in double figures now in seven in a row and averaging 18 points per game over this five-game winning streak. He's been great. He's been everything they could have expected when getting him from Pittsburgh. You know they've got four good scoring options and a fifth that's just a shade under double digits in Theo Pinson. Kenny Williams, Cam Johnson, Luke Berry, Luke, uh, Joel Berry, and Luke May, all over 11.5 points per game. So this team brings some legitimate challenges. This Tar Heels team comes in 
and is a good team playing as well as they have at any point this season. Can the Orange disrupt that? Can the Orange go up against a team that is a good rebounding team and still rebound well, right? Because we've seen this year, this team is a good rebounding team. Can Syracuse take advantage of the fact that, you know what, the Tar Heels play a little bit small, right? They tend to go small. They tend to play three guards, Theo Pinson, who's kind of a a wing-swing kind of a guy, too, you know, a stretch four. And Luke May, who's really a, a a stretch four playing the five, right? A four playing the five. Can they expose that on the boards? Can Syracuse take advantage of that small ball starting lineup? Because SU is big. SU's got height. We know that, right? With Pascal Chukwu, with Barama Sidibe, O'Shea set a great rebounder. Marek Dolajai getting the job done on the boards as well this year. The guards rebound well. Can Syracuse take advantage of that kind of height advantage inside? My question when it pertains to SU is really who's out there. And we will continue to have this question, I think, through the rest of the season. Who is going to be out there? Who is going to be available? Who can play for the Orange and who cannot? And this sounds like a silly question to keep asking. But Barama Sidibe played 17 minutes on Saturday. Is he available today? Matt Moyer only played six minutes. I think that has to do with Marek Dolajai more so than his ankle. But what's his status going into tonight's game? Because we know that ankle at times has acted up. And we know because of Jim Beheim that there have been decisions made by that family to hold him out for the betterment of himself. So who's available tonight? Do they have seven bodies? Do they have seven healthy players? And I think that makes a difference. I think it makes a difference in a game like tonight. Where you're going to want to be able to, you know, get some fresh legs on the court. Where you're going to want to be able to maybe match North Carolina's size at times. Because even though they start a small lineup, they have some bigs off the bench who... Maybe they're not quite developed to the point where Syracuse, where UNC was hoping they would be, right? They're young. They're not Isaiah Hicks yet, who they had to replace off of last year's championship team. But they're still young and talented. So can Syracuse match up with that size when it comes in? Can they bring in Moyer, who's a bigger body? Can Sidibe spell Chukwu? I think it's all important in tonight's game. And then, of course, there's the offense. We'll talk about the offense more a bit later after we have Coach Q on. But Syracuse needs good offensive performances by not just that quote-unquote big three, not just Tyus Battle and Frank Howard and O'Shea Brissett. They need offensive performances out of somebody else. Somebody else has to give them something. Is that Marek Dolzhai? Is it Pascal Chukwu? Is it Sidibe? Is it Moyer? I don't know which one it will be tonight, but they need an offensive performance out of a fourth. 
And if Tyus Battle can get back to what Tyus Battle has been this season, scoring 20-plus points per game, and more closely play like that than he did Saturday where he was, you know, a little bit off all day, then Syracuse might score enough points to win this game and be in this game. I don't think just playing defense will be enough against this team. I don't think playing just playing good defense will be enough against Duke on Saturday. I think that they're going to have to score in these games. And if they can get the kinds of performances that they did out of Merrick Dolzhai on Saturday, the kind of performance they got out of Frank Howard and O'Shea Brissett, and you add a little bit more from Tyus Battle, that might just be enough with the defense that this team plays. That might just be enough given how good this team is defensively, to win a couple of these games, to win tonight, to win on Saturday. They're going to need every last bit of what this team has to win against good teams. We know that already. We've seen that already. They need everything to beat good teams. I don't think they had absolutely everything on Saturday. Ty's battle was a step off. But they were pretty close, and they beat a pretty good Miami team on the road, a tournament team to this point on the road. Can they put it all together again and win tonight? We'll talk more about that as we go through the afternoon. But coming up next, Coach Q, Quentin Hillsman from the SU women's basketball team joins us. On the other side, here on Orange Nation on ESPN Radio. Live from Armory Square. This is Orange Nation with Stephen Fonte and Seth Goldberg. Back on ESPN Radio 97.7 and 100.1. Seth Goldberg here with you. Uh, Max Brigandi, our producer, is here as well. And we just found out Seth does not follow out. me on social media. I don't follow Max on 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 Instagram. I don't even know what your uh, I'm a little insulted. What's your what's your what's your thing? I'm I'll, just I'll... not gonna say it on the okay. air. I'll tell okay, you off the That's air. Fine. That's fine for sure. <laughs> don't need all those. Uh, you don't want random, random followers. Instagram followers? No, I'm good on that. Uh, all right. Uh, wh- what do you have for us? This is not today's business. We'll get to today's business coming up in a little bit. We'll have uh, Joe Giglio of the News and Observer coming up in about an hour from now as well. Your call is welcome. 315-437-7644 on Twitter at Seth Goldberg 17 at ESPN Radio Syracuse. Uh, we'll get back to UNC and Syracuse in, in a little bit. What what do you have here for us, though? Uh, it's called Big Deal or Nah. Okay. That's a super creative title I came yeah, up with in the last is. hour. Well uh, done. So f- let's get started with Lindsey Vaughn earning her bronze in her final event, or what is likely her final event. Big Deal or Nah? Um. Yeah, sure. Uh, I'll, I'll say it's a big deal. It's, it's bigger than nothing. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, I don't think it's a big deal, but it's bigger than nothing. Um, I, I saw this yesterday. She's the she's like the first uh, downhill skier. She's the first women's skier to to get two uh, downhill medals. Yeah, I think. And well, she's and it the was her oldest. oldest woman, uh, oldest women woman to win a medal in alpine skiing. So any form, slalom, giant slalom, whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I mean, yeah, I think it's some kind of a big deal. Uh, she came back from major, major injuries to do it. Uh, so sure. 
she also was what the bar was. She set exactly. the bar for so long in yeah. that sport. So, uh, big deal or not, USA getting eliminated last night by Slovakia. No, no, I don't think so. Um, Bigger I, deal if they had played with professionals? Yes, yes. Uh, I wanted to talk about this actually a little bit, and I was thinking Go of getting it. to it a little bit later. But um, I tried to watch. I really did. I'm not a huge hockey fan, and I will be the first to admit that. But I love Olympic hockey. Like, I was all over it in Vancouver. I was all, you know, I was watching as much as I could in Sochi. You know, uh, it, it was difficult because of my work schedule, but <laughs> I was watching as much as I possibly could. Um, I, I'm really into the Olympic hockey, and I, I find it fascinating. I love the the style that they play, and they're going up and down the ice. Uh, you know, it, it seems quickly there's more space because the ice is bigger. Um and I didn't get it this year. I didn't feel that this year. I tried to watch one of the earlier games, and I just, I don't know. I wasn't into it. I, I had the game on last night. I wasn't paying attention. I was like, oh, they're going to overtime. I should watch more. And then ended up playing games on my phone instead. Uh, like, I, I just, I wasn't into it. And I, I really think it's because there weren't the best players in the world there. And that's not a knock on the guys who were there. You know, that's not a knock on the American guys who were there, who took time away from their international season, who took time away from the AHL season, who came out of retirement in the case of Brian Gianta. That's not a knock on these guys at all, uh, but it's not the best players in the world, right? It's not Jack Eichel. It's not Austin Matthews suiting up for Team USA. And and I think it's just really short-sighted. Um you know, I I don't know if the NHL really truly benefits from getting the Olympics and having their players in the Olympics. I don't know, but I would think you do. I mean, and I would think so as well. I would think you do. And, you know, it, it seems like good promotion because you're getting casual sports fans and casual, you know, fans of anything, TV fans, to watch hockey. And so I would think they would benefit. And I saw an interview with SI from... Uh, the NBC Sports president, the president of NBC Sports, and he said that not only was Olympic hockey down, um, but NHL hockey on the NBC-owned regional sports networks was down as well. The The viewership these last couple of weeks was down as well. So people aren't just not watching the Olympics. They're not watching the NHL hockey that's happening at the same time. So I think it was just very short-sighted. And I've got this theory that in four years they're going to be back on the ice for no reason uh, you know, not not because of ratings, not because this didn't go well, um, and not because they get any more money, but because uh, it, it's a, a big stage. They're going to go play in Beijing, and you know, you couldn't pull them out of, in Canada eight years ago, right? You, there's no way you could have said to the NHL guys, "Hey, Sidney Crosby, you're not going to get the chance to play right. in Olympics in your home yeah. country." You couldn't do it in Russia for the same reason. Because Alexander Ovechkin, Evgeny Malkin, enough players would have left, mm-hmm. enough stars would have left to play in that Olympics. You could do it here because nobody cared that it was in South Korea, right? Right. But you it's a also very weird location. But you also can't do it in four years in Beijing because no, Beijing and China are too big of an opportunity and too big of a market. So, like, I've got this theory that they're going to be back, and like, it's not even going to be close. So, I, I, I'm just kind of disappointed that the NHL said, "No, we're good." We're gonna stay home for this one Olympics. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it made it it made it significantly less interesting. It did to me that you know. I mean, I feel like I was really excited for the Olympics because I really like the Olympics, and then it just seems like the coverage this year with the weird times that it's been on, it's been tough to watch. 
every time I seem to turn the television on, it's on figure skating and no knock on figure skating. Figure skating is, it, there's but, a lot more figure skating than I thought. Yeah, than I remember. Yeah, 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 for sure. And again, not a knock on that because it, they have to be super talented to it's compete incredible. in that sport. Yeah. But I just get sick of watching it over and over again. And it, I don't know. It's just these Olympics kind of have lost their they're kind of shine with yeah. me. No, I mean, I, I'm I'm ex- I love the Olympics. I'm excited for the next ones, obviously, but I hope that they do a better job with like just covering it in general. I mean, it's not their fault at right. all, just because of the time difference. But I don't know. That's, yeah, it, the time difference is weird. At the same time, m- the majority of primetime stuff has been live, which is good. Right. Um, the problem that they have is that most of the day is overnight here. Right. So, like a lot of the skiing, a lot of the the snowboarding, a lot of the events are happening, you know, mm-hmm. while we're sleeping. All right. Big deal or not? Astros touted pitching prospect. He's number eight in the top one hundred. Uh, suspended fifty games for violating a drug program. Uh, I think this is a big deal. Um, partially because of who it is, and partially because um, partially because it's a minor leaguer. Um, look, I'm not I'm not going to sit here and claim that I knew this guy before today but he is a highly ranked prospect and if a highly ranked prospect is getting busted uh that's not good for the organization that's not good for the prospect uh right so mo- for the most part when we've heard of minor leaguers getting busted and, and getting caught it's been lower level guys it's been fringe guys um and not a top level prospect the other thing that i think is important about this is minor leaguers are not protected by the uh, the players association mm-hmm. or not for them or for the most part are not protected by the players association. You've got to be, um, you've got to be on a forty man roster, and I don't know that he is, um, but it makes it a lot more difficult for guys to appeal. Like there's no yeah. appeals process for a minor leaguer who's not on a forty man roster. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious to see how this plays itself out, and because it's a top prospect, if he's not protected yet. Is this going to lead to things being changed, right? Like, is this going to lead minor league baseball players to say, you know what, that's the last straw. We've yeah. got to unionize. We've, We've got to yeah. do something. Interesting. I mean, obviously, I, I I can't disagree with anything you just said, but the kid looks like he's going to be really good. He had like a 1.8 ERA last year, Corpus Christi. I think that's their, uh, their, uh, that's their short s- season, isn't it? Yeah, I think that's their that single A. a? I yeah. think it was their high, high single A or whatever. Yeah. Um, but we'll stick with baseball here. Mets GM Sandy Alderson saying Tim Tebow will be a major league player. He <laughs> believes this year. Big deal or not? Nah. No, uh, no, it's not because I've had this thought. brilliant marketing plan. Well, here's why I say it's not a big deal. I've had this thought that he's going to be a major leaguer in September because, like, I I thought that it would have happened last year because the Mets were totally out of it. Yeah, and uh, like, what better way of getting people to the ballpark? And so if the Mets are just completely and totally out of it again, I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. Um I just I wouldn't be surprised when the 40 man rosters get ex- you know rosters get expanded, you cut somebody who you know you're not going to keep after the season and you bring Tebow up for 3 games, bring him up for a weekend, it doesn't matter who it's against, you get butts in the seats, I would guarantee you they would sell out. And all he's got to do is get like his one at bat or his one start. Um and I saw this idea floated out there as well, but 
what better ending to his uh, to his Hollywood movie? Yeah, seriously. I was a I was a Heisman Trophy winner. I wasn't good enough for the NFL. I was a I major league Mets. baseball player. <laughs> like, what better way to to put a bow on that movie than having him actually taken at bat in the? Uh, How great would it be to see majors. him put one out at City Field too? Oh my god, that would be amazing. Uh, let's go to some Yankees news. The trade they made yesterday, which I saw on Twitter, you were crossing your fingers for yeah, I was Chris wrong. Archer. <laughs> I was wrong. But the Yankees get infielder Brandon Drury from the Diamondbacks. D-backs get Steven Souza and Taylor Widener from the Yankees. And then the Rays get Anthony Banda and some players to be named later. Uh, big deal or nah? Um, ultimate- Put some competition in the infield. Yeah, ultimately I don't think it's a big deal. Um, I think that it's a, a good move for the Yankees. I think it's a smart move for the Yankees to get... Uh, another kind of utility swing kind of a guy. This is now the third guy who they've got who's going to be on the on the the Yankees bench who can play multiple infield positions, including thir- second and third. It doesn't seem like they gave up a lot either. No, I don't. I don't think they did. Um, you know, Nick Solak. He was a second baseman only. Was he really going to make the majors as as purely a second baseman? I don't know. Um, they've got a lot of they they've got guys at that position. Uh, including their top prospect in Glaber Torres, so I'm not heartbroken over the trade. You know of of what they gave up. the The pitcher they gave up isn't you know too highly thought of in their uh, in their system. I think he's their 15th best prospect. Um, I mean, the I Yankees no are still loaded. It. Yeah, down the, in the Yankees have an farm insane system. farm system. So deal from depth and and go get stuff that'll help you. And Drury's not even arb- arbitration eligible yet. So he's got, what, five, six more years of control. Um, he'll play third. He'll play second. This puts less pressure on Andujar. This puts less pressure on Torres to make the club out of spring training. And it allows you to start the season with him, with Ronald Torres, with even Tyler Wade. Yep. Kind of splitting time at those two positions. I, I think that they're going to have Drury play a little bit of first base as well because you don't really have a backup there to Greg Bird. So, yeah, I, I think overall this was a good move. Yeah, nice utility pickup for sure. I'm sure you talked about this next one a lot yesterday since I was out, but I wanted to hear it for myself. Uh, big deal or not, Louisville having their title vacated? Um, Yes and no. I'm not a fan of, t- of, of vacated championships, and, it, and it's a big deal in that the banner won't be hanging. Right, and is you it, can't like officially. Is it a bigger deal that they don't have Rick Pitino, or that the title got vacated? I mean, I'm thinking. I think it's a bigger deal that Pitino's not there anymore. Yeah, I was. I, I say. really do. Um, you know, it, I say it's a big deal because you can't like flaunt it, right? You can't show off like, "Hey, we got that nice banner and that shiny trophy." Uh, but at the same time, like everybody in the world knows you won that title. Right. You know, I I was sitting in the building. Like yeah. I, I I watched that. It you happened. Know, like, yeah. You, you you watched it. You know we. I saw that team win games. Yeah. Like I saw that team beat Syracuse in the Garden. Like I, I watched it's the that same team. thing with the right. vacated wins for Bayheim. Exactly. Like we all saw it happen. Exactly. And so there's nothing you can do to change the memories we have of vacating those. Exactly. Wins. So I hate that they vacate wins. I think it's a a petty punishment. And this is what I was talking about yesterday. I think that the punishment is uh is really kind of silly and short sighted and and. If the NCAA, I think, really wanted to sting them, they could easily just find the schools without taking the wins away. Yeah, I think that would be much more appropriate, and it would actually— I mean, they're still fining them over a million dollars. Yeah. Um, Let me get you going on some draft stuff today, since Mel Kuyper's latest mock draft. Are you worried that Saquon Barkley is going to the Giants and they're not taking a quarter in this QB-rich draft? Um, I'm not necessarily worried that they're not taking a quarterback. But I would rather them not take Saquon Barkley. 
Um, I, I don't think Saquon Barkley is the pick for the Giants. Uh, just personal preference. Um, I'd rather see them if they're not going to take a quarterback. I'd rather see them. Uh, I'd rather see them take an offensive lineman. I'd rather see them, you know, trade back. Um, I don't really want Saquon Barkley, and that's not a knock on him. It's just this idea that you can get, uh, you can get another quarterback, uh, another running back later on, yeah. right? Like you can, you can find a quarterback later on in the draft. Uh, a running back, I should say, sorry, later on in the draft. It's harder to find a quarterback later. It's harder to find an offensive lineman later. Uh, and are you really comfortable they... with Eli being 38 now? You know what I mean? No, I, I want them to dig another quarterback. Right, like, exactly. I, I like, now's them... the time so you can get right. his tutelage and his mentorship right. on I, the young guy. I want them to have somebody. And and look, I don't know if they if the new coaching staff and the new regime thinks that Davis Webb is, is any good. Right. Uh, it's completely possible that they're going to come in and say, hey, I think Davis Webb is the next quarterback. Fantastic. Then go get somebody else <laughs> yeah. with the second pick, or or trade out of the second pick. That's awesome. But I have no idea if Davis Webb is the is the guy because he's he's barely played. Yeah, it's interesting because the Giants haven't really had a a good running game since like Ahmad Bradshaw and Brandon right. Jacobs, and it seems like they've been doing all right without like a solid. Well, they didn't have a great running game last year, and they uh, not this past season, the previous, the previous and they made yeah, the playoffs exactly. And I mean the receivers they have are amongst the best receiving corps in the league, the arguably, same time, when they're healthy. At the same time, if you put Saquon Barkley with, That's Odell, what I was gonna say. with Odell Beckham Jr., Evan Ingram, and Sterling That's Shepard, what I was gonna say. that would it makes be your phenomenal. offense more, even more dynamic than it already is, and it would be interesting. But again, I agree with you in the fact that this is such a QB-rich draft where there's a lot of talent at the position. I think you got to get your guy here, especially moving forward. I agree. With the age of your quarterback as is, and that seems like a perfect scenario. Like I always, you always use the Brett Favre moving on and Aaron Rodgers coming in. It seems like it could be the same. Well, it, it sort even of worked, recipe. It even worked really well with the Giants. You know, they brought in Kurt Warner, who is this veteran, yeah, you know, then, sage kind of, uh, just savvy vet, savvy and then, vet, and and then Eli took over what nine, ten games into the year. So yeah, yeah I I think that it's something that makes sense to do. Uh, find the right guy, though. Don't just take one for right. the sake of taking one. You know, if you don't like one at two, don't take one. Yeah. Um, trade back. Pick up an offensive lineman. Do uh, trade back into the first round. Do something. Right. Um, I, I think that they should draft a quarterback, though. If if they're not comfortable with Davis Webb, yeah, draft a quarterback early ish. Right. First round, second round. Right. Yeah, I agree totally. Kyle Lalletta, by the way, Richmond guy. Oh, worth yeah. keeping an eye on. Really. That's, I that's thought it was interesting I've that read. Josh Allen creep, crept his way up to number one. I know. So that'll be interesting to keep watch on as the draft approaches. But uh, well, you want to get to the phone yeah, lines right now? Why we don't got... we hit a phone uh, before we take a break? 315-437-7644 is the number to call. We got Jake in Syracuse on the line. Hello, Jake. Hey, guys. Uh, how are we doing? Just want to change the topic to Adam Silver discussing uh, you know, reseeding the NBA playoffs. Yeah. 16. Uh, for me, that's just kind of a knee-jerk reaction to last year's playoffs, the Warriors sweeping their way, the Cavs sweeping their way. Seems a little knee-jerky to me. I don't remember you know, people crying over the Bulls going to the finals all the time in the 90s or you know, Lakers, Celtics every year. I, I, it just seems real knee-jerky to me. Maybe it's not my NBA anymore. Maybe I'm too old. But the other thing is I, I watch a lot of ESPN and people talking about you know, the big three being in Miami. But I, I remember the Celtics, KG, Paul Pierce, Ray Allen being a big three. I think, you know, Magic, Kareem, and James Worthy kind of a big three. Yep. Maybe Bird, Parrish, McHale. Absolutely. Um, you know, even go back to the 70s, Willis Reed and uh, Clyde DeGlyde and Earl of Pearl. You know, they, 
there have always been big threes in the NBA, and all of a sudden, you know, it's such a, everybody's crying about it now, and I, I just don't understand it. I like dominance in sports. You know, whether or not you love the Patriots or hate the Patriots, or love the Yankees or hate the Yankees, it brings eyes to the television no, no matter what. And, um, you know, thanks for taking my call. I don't think receding is a good idea. Yeah, Jake, thanks good for the point, call. Yeah. I, I could not agree with that call more. Um, when people started talking about whether it was a decade ago with the Celtics team, whether it's more recently with the, the Heat team, or even more recently with the Warriors, with the, the Cavs, um, talking about these quote-unquote super teams, literally look through the history of basketball and tell me which team won a championship like without multiple Hall of Famers on it. Yeah. Right? You want to go back to the Celtics of the 60s, the first dynasty in basketball. That team was... Filled and, yeah. with Hall of Famers, <laughs> the the Jerry West Lakers that also had Elgin Baylor and Wilt Chamberlain. I, I, those three are all Hall of Famers right. of all time. Great. I just don't know, you know what the, this would change exactly. You know, the, like the yeah. Warriors are still going to win exactly, and this, it's the, still going to be the same two teams in the finals, most likely. Right? No, I I don't I don't love the idea of reseeding. I think it is knee jerk. I think that it is this idea that one conference is better than the other, and that's always happened. Uh, so deal with it. Uh, let's take a break. We'll come back. We'll wrap up the hour after this. Seth Goldberg with you up until 2 o'clock. We'll pass things off to Matt Park, then Daniel Baldwin, then Brent Axe. Here on ESPN Radio 97.7 and 100.1. You can be listening online, ESPNSyracuse.com, the ESPN app. And don't forget, you can watch our show now on Facebook Live. Just find our page, ESPN Syracuse. And you can watch. You can see all the decorations we've got. Our Orange Nation street sign. Our Syracuse Crunch hockey jersey. Our uh, eclectic, let's call it eclectic, bobblehead collection on the windowsill behind me. You can see all of it on our Facebook live stream. 315-437-7644. The number to call on Twitter at Seth Goldberg 17 if you'd like to get in. That way, uh, I want to hear from you on this game tonight, Syracuse and UNC. And I said yesterday that this is the opportunity for the Orange to get into the tournament. Win one of these three games against top 10, top 15, top 20 opponents, however you want to group them. Win one of these three. Win two of these three. And I think that you're in. Can the Orange do it? That's the question that it comes down to. And the more I think about it, the more I think the answer is yes. They can certainly win one of the three. I think they could win tonight. Syracuse can absolutely win this game. But they need the offense to step up. We know the defense will be there. Or at least we think we know that the defense will be there. But the offense has to step up. And the offense has to be there too. The offense needs to give you enough. Right? 
The offense needs to give you enough to get a win. It's not enough just to play good defense. It's not enough just to hold a team to 65 points. You've got to be able to score. You've got to be able to put the ball in the bucket. And that's really that's really what Syracuse has not been able to do consistently over the course of this season. Right? Look at their losses. The one to St. Bonaventure, where they couldn't score the ball. Notre Dame, where they couldn't score. Georgia Tech, where they struggled to score. There are games this year that had the Orange just had five more points, they win. Had they scored 60 points, they run away with games. And we haven't seen them score consistently. Can they do it over these last four games? And if they do, I could see them winning a couple. I could see them winning three if they can score consistently. But they have to be able to score consistently, and I just don't know that they can do that. I don't know that they can do that given the depth of this team, given who's playing on this team. Given that Pascal Chukwu looks to have taken a step back offensively, from where he was earlier this season. It looks like Merrick Dolajai is stepping up. It looks like O'Shea Brissett has played more consistently, and he was ACC Co-Rookie of the Week last year. Tyus Battle is a guy who's probably going to get some all-ACC buzz with the way that he's been playing. And it's well-deserved. And Frank Howard is there, and he's scoring 15 points, 16 points, 18 points a game. He's been doing that for the majority of the season. So can they all put it together in one game? Can everybody put it together in one game? Tyus Battle and Frank Howard, and O'Shea Brissett, and Marek Dolashai, or and Pascal Chukwu, or and Barama Sidibe, or and Matthew Moyer. Can they all put it together in one game? Four of them. Four of them is all I'm asking. It doesn't have to be seven players all playing great offensively. How about four? How about four having good offensive games? And I think that'll be enough. Because the Orange got by against a a, a good, right, good, not great, Miami team on Saturday with three guys playing really good offensive games. Frank Howard, O'Shea Brissett, and Merrick Dolzhai playing really good games. Tyus Battle wasn't at his best. Pascal Chukwu clearly wasn't offensively. You didn't have a lot from Sidibe offensively. It was really those three. It was really Howard, Battle, or Howard, Brissett, and Dolisha. And if they can get it from four, I think that they're going to be good enough defensively that they will be right in there at the end. Right, that they will be right there at the end and they can pull off a win. And that's all you can ask for. Be in it at the end of the game and close enough to get a win. That's what happened last year, right? That's what happened last year this time. This, like literally a year ago yesterday when Duke came into the Dome. That's what happened. You were close enough. You were close enough to make it a game. Last year it was you played enough defense to keep it a game. 
and John Gillen got the opportunity at the end. He sank the buzzer beater. We know the, we know the story. You rush the court, the whole thing happens. This year, the story is different. This year, the story is, can they, def- can they score enough to get a win? And I think that if you have those four, if you have Battle, if you have Howard, if you have Brissett, and if you have Dolajai or Chuku or Sidibe or Moyer, one of the others, one of the other four, consistently giving you something, I think that this team will have enough to be in the game at the end and to pull off a win. Tonight, Saturday, next Saturday. I really think that's the key. Because the defense is good enough. The defense is good enough to win games. But it remains to be seen whether the offense is there. 315-437-7644, the number to call. We're on Twitter, at Seth Goldberg 17 When we come back, today's business coming up on ESPN Radio. 